Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black, and we're here on another beautiful day to uh, interview uh, a guest. And uh, we're always excited to interview our guest. And, um, you know, again, we, we thank them for coming on. It takes a lot of courage to talk on a podcast and also talk about what we're going to get into, which is, uh, you know, loss, grief, and dreams. Uh, and again, it, it, it's it's not as easy as uh, we make it sound and our guests make it sound, but uh, we appreciate that uh, a lot. So today we have on uh, with us Monica Mead. Uh, Monica is currently working in private practice as a clinical therapist with Whole Balance Health, specializing in grief and trauma therapy, utilizing EMDR, uh, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Monica's pursuit of becoming a grief counselor was born out of necessity. After the death of two family members within a two-year span, she struggled to find hope for herself in the healing process. She has made it her goal to reach out to others during their grief journey to bring love and light to the healing process. Monica is also the co-founder of the Everglow Project, a four-day retreat for women focused on the power of integrative healing, mind, body, and spirit during the grief journey. Monica is also mother is also the mother of three amazing daughters, Kiana, uh, forever 14 years old, Kyla, 15 years old, and Ava, who is seven years old. I hope I said those names correctly. You did. Okay, great. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, so it's uh, it's exciting to talk to any guests. And once again, you have a unique story that you want to share. Where does it all begin for you? Is it the two losses in the sense of, like, I'm not sure when it, like, if you were young when you had them and then you went into your career or was your career first and then you had the losses? So what happened, I've been in the mental health field for about 12 years in different in different. Um, genres, such as the mental health. So I did case management, um, just mental health primarily. And then after the loss of my daughter, I turned my career towards counseling and one-on-one therapy. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And I wanted to get into um, the types of therapies uh, you use in uh, EMDR specifically. Can you tell us what that is? Sure. EMDR therapy is indicated to treat trauma, PTSD, and it's evidence-based. And what that means is that in a, in a study, in a scientific study, it was found to successfully eliminate the negative effects of trauma. So for somebody who is experiencing ruminating thoughts or constantly thinking about a trauma in their past or that has happened to them, what EMDR therapy does is it takes that trauma and processes it correctly. So the strong emotion that's tied to that event is no longer tied to it. You don't forget the event. You don't lose the emotion, but they're just no longer attached together. And so why that's beneficial is if it allows you to free up that brain space that's been working on constantly ruminating or constantly remembering, running in what we like to call a movie reel of events. In, in your mind. And when that's happening, we can't create new memories. We can't um, be present in our lives. And so it can be very debilitating. And so EMDR, again, it just processes it correctly, puts it away in the brain where it needs to go. So 
So if it needs to be accessed later, it can be. But removing the emotional um, like sting that's attached to it. That's interesting. So what is the actual function or process of it? So we use bilateral stimulation in the form of either a light that moves from left to right. So your eyes will follow that. And the bilateral stimulation means the left side and right side of the brain being activated simultaneously. Or you can also use audio, which is headphones, or um, tactile, which are little round paddles that you hold in your hand and they vibrate left to right. And you allow the client to choose one of those three um, ways to process the information. And then you work on, you find the target image of the trauma, what's the worst part of the memory. You ask them, what would you rather believe about yourself associated with that memory? And how disturbing is this memory to you right now? And how true does the positive thought feel to you right now? The positive thought um, being, what would you rather feel about this event rather than the current feeling surrounding it? And then you start a series of bilateral stimulation. Um, so you ask the client to either look at the light, hold the paddles in their hand, or listen to the headphones. And, and you run a series of 24, approximately, um, bilateral stimulations. And you turn it off, and then you ask the client, what are you getting now? And then you ask them just to go with that. And you continue to do that until no new um, pieces come up, no new information comes up associated with that memory. And when that's done, you, you ask them, where is your level of disturbance now? And how true does the positive, the positive thought feel right now? That's fascinating. So you've obviously seen some success with this, like people come back later, or how long does it take for people to kind of see results? Sure. So I had it done myself. Um, again, after the death of my daughter, I was just looking for anything. I was willing to try anything in order to heal from the trauma because her death was very traumatic. And I could not get over that. And so I, I sought out a therapist who um, utilized the technique and had it done to myself. I had it done over a series of about six times and six one-hour sessions and felt much better afterward. And at that point, I decided that this was definitely something I was going to be certified and trained in and to bring into my own private practice as well. So with clients, I have seen tremendous success, anything from phobias, fear of driving, fear of uh, flying, to um, very traumatic uh, childhood events, um, sexual abuse, abuse in general, death. And it, it depends on the amount of trauma, the, the complexity of it. If it has happened over several years and there's several different events, then that takes a little bit longer. If it's a one-time event that you are focusing on and treating, that tends to be a little bit shorter. But again, it's definitely up to uh, the individual and how quickly they can process. Also, how quickly they are willing to be vulnerable with that process because it does bring the trauma back up to the forefront and it does feel almost like it's happening again. And so because of that, it can be emotionally draining. Wow, it's so interesting. It's interesting that you know this technique came up. And yeah, trauma is... 
it's one of those things it's like a disorder of memory and i can see it coming up and the stimuli helping maybe move the memory around or relocate it and uh and facilitate sort of the the solidification of the experience with the emotions um combined with the memory because you're right like a lot of time it's the avoidance that is what people I think facilitates that extra trauma going on, like the intrusive rumination. So it's that avoidance behavior and it's just coming at you. And I like what you're, what you're saying is how that, you know, when you bring it up, you have to be ready to bring it up and look at it. So you need the courage and the willpower to say, you know, like this is a, I want to sort of get through this with the person there that's helping you provide a safe space. And so I think it's amazing and going forward. So what, so I guess I think it's the the best thing is to go back to sort of your loss since it was your loss that then made you find this technique and want to help people uh, in a different way. So could you take us through what exactly happened with your daughter? I'm guessing she was the first one that died out of the two. Sure. So let me, can I, is it okay with you if I start kind of back up a little bit and start kind of in the beginning of her childhood? Just yeah, briefly and go forward. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So Kiana was my oldest born, my firstborn daughter, and I had her when I was quite young. Um, her father and I got married very young, um, rebelliously, <laughs> and he was in the military, so we moved to Hawaii, and that is where Kiana was born, which is why she has her Hawaiian name, and she was the perfect firstborn child. She didn't cry. She didn't fuss. She was very calm very sweet, very forgiving, very loving. And she was like that her entire life. It never, it never changed. That's just the child she was. And the teenager she was, she just grew up into being just a very kind, loving person, always forgiving, being the bigger person sort of thing. When Kiana was six years old, her father and I divorced. And I moved to Colorado with her sister and herself, so Kyla and Kiana both, and myself, we moved to Colorado. And at that point, I went back to college and got my undergrad degree. And when I graduated, we, I remarried at that point, and we moved to Tennessee and lived there for a few years. And then my husband at the time was offered an opportunity to move to Colorado to continue his education. So we took advantage of that and we moved to Colorado. And at that time I found out I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, Ava. It was unexpected for sure. And um, we were very surprised. Um, at that point, our daughters were 13 and eight. So Kiana was 13 when her sister was born and Kyla was eight. And they were just very sweet. They welcomed her. They loved her. It was never a burden or Kiana was just never angry about having such a younger sibling. She just enjoyed it. She enjoyed being a big sister. And Kiana and I have always been very close. Um, I, I, I really think it's because I had her so young. So we grew up together. But she was just, a, and, and a lot of that too is her personality. She's very sweet, very kind. She wasn't a typical teenager in the way that she didn't want to be around me, she wanted to be around me and she wanted to do things with me and she would tell me stuff. And so we were just really close. And we decided um, in 2013 to join a CrossFit gym together. Neither one of us had ever done it. And we thought like, hey, let's, let's check this out. And so that became our thing. We 
and we would go together, we'd ride together. It was our private time alone, and we just really enjoyed it. And one of my most cherished memories is our drives back from CrossFit because we would both be exhausted and tired and just feeling really accomplished, and she would always just talk to me about school. And one of our last trips home, I remember she was talking to me, and I turned off the radio, and I just looked at her, and she said, Mom, am I talking too much? And I, and I said, no, I just want to listen to you. I want to I wanna just hear you. And she just laughed, and that was just her personality. She would always just laugh, and I could get her to laugh until she would, like, throw up. She would laugh so hard. And I love making people laugh. And so we just kind of joked that she was my laugh track because she would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And sometimes it wouldn't even be that funny. But that particular day, I just remember looking at her and just really taking her all in. And at that moment, I just, I remember telling her that I didn't deserve her. I didn't deserve to have a child that was that amazing because I was very rebellious and she was none of those things. And she would just laugh and hold my hand and just tell me, I love you, mom. And we got along really well. And so she was 14 when she died. Her stepdad and myself had gone to dinner that night, the night of her death. And um, she was going to watch her sisters. It was close to Christmas. It was December 22nd. We'd gone out to dinner and she had agreed to watch her sisters um, for Christmas morning. And so when we got home from dinner that evening, we walked in and the TV was on and she was watching Long Island Medium, but no one was downstairs, which I thought was odd because the TV was left on. And so I walked upstairs or I looked at the baby monitor, which was in the corner of the room in the living room. And I saw that Kiana and our youngest daughter, Ava, who was about 20 months at the time, were sleeping on my bed, were laying on my bed together, and they were cuddling. And so I just commented that Ava and Kyla had the best big sister. And I went to go take a picture of it, but my phone was dead. So I walked upstairs and I tucked in Kyla, who was sleeping in her own bed at that time. And I woke up Kiana and I thanked her for watching her sisters. And I put Ava back in her bed, and Kiana said, Mom, I'm going to shower. And so I told her, okay, I'll be downstairs working on my computer for a bit. Uh, make sure you say goodnight to me. And so she said, okay. And I was working and watching TV at the same time, and she came down, and her hair was wet, and she was just right out of the shower. And she hugged me, and her, her wet hair touched my face. And I remember smelling it, smelling her shampoo and her lotion. And she kissed me and I just said, I love you. Remember, we have passport pictures in the morning. And she said, okay, mom, I remember, I remember. And she asked me if I was going to bed. And I said, I will probably go to bed in a minute. I'm going to finish up what I'm doing. And so she went upstairs and got in bed. Everybody was asleep by the time I went to bed. And I always check on my girls before I go to bed. So I went into each of my girls' rooms and tucked them in and kissed them on the forehead and shut their bedroom doors. I went to sleep. Well, sometime in the middle of the night, my youngest daughter, Ava, had woke up, and this was not uncommon for her. She would often wake up and come to bed with me, and so I went and got her and put her in bed. And I generally would check on my girls before 
I went to bed, like if I woke up in the middle of the night, I would check on them. I always felt like it was a reason I was woken up. And for some reason that night I didn't. I didn't go check on my other two girls. I was exhausted. I just put Ava in bed with me and went to sleep. Well, the next time I was woken up was before 6 o'clock a.m. Our dog was barking. He's a small dog, but he's not a barking dog. He doesn't generally bark, so it was out of the ordinary for sure. And he was barking and kind of growling a little bit. And I was so I was startled awake, not really aware of my surroundings or, or what was going on. And I heard Kiana's stepdad at that time. Um, he said, something, something's not right. Something's, something's going on. And um, he's in the military. At that time, he's a special forces operator, and so he always carries his weapon with him. And I, he, I heard him um, walking by with his gun, and to kind of just check and make sure everything was okay. And because of the barking, our youngest daughter had woke up, and I and I laid back down with her, and I said, it's "Okay, honey, just go back to sleep. We didn't want any undue worry." This is December 23rd, the morning of December 23rd, 2013. So at that point, I called 911. Um, I assumed somebody was breaking into our home. Um, my daughter's stepdad had said, you know, call 911. Someone, someone's breaking in. And so I did. And as I'm calling, um, he fires two shots, three shots. And... I'm on the phone with 911 when I realized that the intruder is my daughter. She had snuck out of our home unbeknownst to us and was re-entering before anybody was awake. And this was out of character for her. She never, she just didn't do things like that. Um, we later found out it was the first time she'd ever done that. And so as I'm on the phone with 911 and I realize it's my daughter, I lose it. I start crying and I'm just asking them to hurry. And um, her stepdad had gone out through our basement. She was on the side of the house coming in through a side window. And he had gone out through our basement exit and had brought her in to the basement. He wouldn't let me go in there and see her. And he's performing CPR on her until the first responders arrived and they arrived so quickly. I just feel like it has to be noted that the first responders were amazing and professional and I can never thank them enough for what they did for, for me that day and for, for my girls. They, they, they came in our home and they wouldn't let me down to the basement to see her. They just said, like, she's breathing, you know, we're going to take her in. And I begged them to let me ride in the ambulance with her. And they, they wouldn't allow that. Um, at that time, I, I believe that because it was still considered a crime scene and they weren't sure what was truth and what wasn't, they had to protect as much as they could. Um, and so a police officer, he offered to let me ride with him in his patrol car to the hospital. And my two girls at that time were just upstairs very scared. And so I asked the officer if I could walk up and just let them know that I was going to ride to the hospital and that they were going to be okay and that their sister was okay. Um, I'm in my pajamas at this time and so I just put on, I was wearing a nightgown, I just put on 
some yoga pants. So all I had on was a nightgown and yoga pants, and we left. I, I left with the um, police officer, and he drove me there. I started praying. I was raised Catholic, and so St. Jude has always been a patron saint of hopeless cases, and I just felt like that's who I needed to reach out to at that time. Um, I had called my parents to come in, to come into town. They live about three hours away, and I asked them to come, and I couldn't really give them details because I didn't know much of what was happening. I just said that Jana had been hurt, and um, it was her stepdad, and I don't know anything else. And um, could they come get the other two girls? Because I was going to probably be at the hospital most of the day. So I rode to the hospital, and I got there, and it's before 6 a.m., sitting in the waiting room, and I had called my siblings to let them know, and my younger brother and I are very close, and um, I called him, and he said that he was on his way with his wife, uh, my sister-in-law, who's one of my best friends, and so I was glad to have them on their way. They lived in Albuquerque, which was about a five-hour drive at the time, and so I was glad to know that they were coming as well. I'm sitting in the hospital. She, she'd been taken into emergency surgery. And I'm there alone waiting and waiting and I'm praying. And the police officer was with me the entire time. Um, and later a detective showed up who, again, was also just incredible. And then I was taken to a separate room. Looking back, I should have recognized what was happening, but I didn't. And so they took me to a separate room, a bereavement room. And they said, the doctor's going to come in and update you. And so I was just really excited about the update and knowing that, you know, my daughter was going to be fine and I get to see her. And I'm sitting down in a chair and this is where everything kind of becomes um, blurry or I don't remember a lot after this point. The very few things that I do remember are either real intense memories or somebody has told them to me and it ignited my memory again. Um, the doctor comes in and a nurse and he sits down, but he won't look at me. And I say, how's my daughter? How's my daughter? And he won't look at me. And he says, I'm sorry she didn't make it. And I, I don't understand what he's saying because this is my baby, my entire world, my sense of purpose. And so I ask him again, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And he tells me, I'm sorry, she, she didn't survive. And he just looks down and I can see that he's been crying and the nurse has been crying. And so I tell him, I need you to try one more time. I need you to go back in there. You don't understand. That's my baby. And he won't look at me. And so something in me says, if I calm down and ask him again, he'll do it. And so I tried to calm myself down. And I said, please, I'm asking you and begging you. And he said, I'm sorry. There's nothing more I can do. And I become nothing. I become a shell. So they allow me to see my daughter. 
Um, they say I can go see her, but because it's still under investigation, they don't want me to touch her or touch her body or anything. And so the detective, um, she's a female detective, she follows me into the, the room where my daughter is, and she tells me, you're not allowed to touch her. You know, you can see her, but you can't touch her. He said, okay. And so we go into this room, and she's laying on the bed, in the hospital bed, and she's covered completely, just her, her face is showing. And she looks beautiful and perfect and peaceful. And I walk up to her, and I kiss her on the forehead, knowing I'm not allowed to do that. And out of the corner of my eye, I see the detective turn away. I don't know if she's a mom. I don't know if she was just allowing me in that moment to be a mom. But I will forever be grateful for that. Because at that moment, she was human with me when I needed someone to be. And I kissed my daughter on the forehead, and she was still warm. And I just kept telling her, I love you. Sorry. And I sat with her for a long time. Um, A priest came in and gave her her last rites. And my parents came at some point, and my neighbor, and my neighbor had picked up my girls because um, her stepdad was taken into um, the station to be booked. They didn't know anything and to be questioned at that point. And so she had gone to pick up my girls and had come to the hospital to make sure it was okay. And really thankful for that. So I wasn't there alone. And then at some point, my parents arrived, and I was sitting in the room with Kiana. And they walked in, and I saw my mom and dad were both crying. And I sat on my mom's lap. And my dad was just kissing my head, and we were all just crying together. That's pretty much all I remember about that. Um, At some point, we left the hospital, and when we were leaving, because we couldn't stay any longer, it was dark outside, I remember that. So I'm guessing it's in the evening time. As we're leaving, um, I got a call from the organ donor registry because I had agreed to donate anything that they could use of my daughter's. I wanted her life to be carried on. I wanted a part of her to continue on in this world. And they called to tell me that they were unable to use anything because of the blood transfusion and she had lost so much blood. And so I fell to my knees in the middle of the hospital and I just cried and cried realizing the finality of it, that there would be no part of her alive on this earth with me again and um, I had to get to my girls Kiana or I'm sorry Kyla and Ava and I had to tell them what happened and I was really not looking forward to that I guess we decided that my dad would do that my dad um, had agreed to tell the girls and we got to my friend's house where the girls were we couldn't go to our home it was still uh, blocked off considered a crime scene and um, there was also a lot of media news reporters surrounding our home we couldn't even get down the road to it anyway and so um, 
we went to my friend's house where the girls were. And at that point, it was my mom, my dad, myself, and Yana's stepdad, and the girls were there. And so when we walked in, Kyla immediately was came to me, Mom, how's my sister? And Kiana and Kyla spent summers with their dad, so Kiana was Kyla's anchor. She cared for her. She loved her. I knew if anybody was going to be as affected by this as I was, it was going to be Kyla. And so I didn't, I didn't want her to um, be angry. I was already filled with enough anger and hate in my heart for the person that had caused this death. And I didn't think I would ever get over that or ever recover from that and when we walked in and we sat down and she said how's mom how's my sister my my dad told her um kyla kiana didn't make it kiana died and immediately without a pause kyla looked at her stepdad and said it's okay daddy kiana forgives you she knows you were protecting her she knows you were just protecting us and I felt like a terrible person that I could be filled with anger and hate. And this eight-year-old could see a mistake and understand forgiveness at such a deep level. And I couldn't. (laughs) So Anna's dad came, flew in, and he was rightfully angry. I wanted him to be angry with me so I could feel like I deserved that. I, I felt like I deserved everyone to be mad at me because I couldn't protect my daughter. That's my only job as a mom. I couldn't do that. And he wasn't, he wasn't mad at me. He was just as broken as I was. And forgiveness came. It came within 24 hours. I, and I, this is all credit to my girls the forgiveness piece. Um, I was laying in my daughter's bed in Kiana's bed and just crying that night, so the night of the 23rd, the morning of the 24th, Christmas, or Christmas Eve. And Kyla and I were in that bed together and I was crying and crying and crying in Kiana's bed and I saw Kiana standing in her closet. I always hesitate sharing this because I think People will think I'm crazy, but I saw her. It was clear. She was wearing a blue shirt and jeans, and she was standing in her closet with her head down. And she had the most beautiful, long, dark hair, and it was like falling in her face. And her hand um, was holding her face, like her face was in her hand. And she just had her hand down, and I just said, Kiana, I love you. And she just stood there. And not there was no, it, she, I don't think she saw me. I saw her, but it was almost as if she was oblivious to everything except she just had her head in her hand, almost in a regret of like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And at that same time that that happened, I heard a voice clear as day in my ear, it was so clear and so not loud, but just clear. I understood every word and it said, you have to forgive and everyone will follow. And I sat there for a moment thinking, 
am I going crazy? What is happening? And I woke up Kiana's dad, um, him and his step, him and his wife, Kiana's stepmom, had um, stayed in our home. And I woke him up and I told him that I saw Kiana and that she wanted us to forgive. And if we did that, everyone would. And I expected him to be like, I'm not doing that. That is out of the question. Anger, anything. But he didn't. He said, okay, then that's what we do. And I didn't expect a reaction from him, like angry reaction because he's a bad person. I expected that because he's human. And that's what I probably would have done. Because the thought of forgiveness was just so far from my mind at that point. And so I, we decided that we would just go forth with that, that that's what we would ask everybody else to do. And it just made sense. Kiana was just a very forgiving, loving person that, of course, that would be her last request. I just want to step in there. This story is, you know, it's, it's so, so heartbreaking. You know, I'm just listening and listening and listening. And I can't imagine what that felt like, you know, like the bond you guys, you guys had is, is so, so beautiful to, with that love and then for it to be taken away in such a, a horrific way where you're right forgiveness is almost the last thing someone could be able to do and but i think this experience and what your daughter said about forgiveness i think this is a great moment when it comes to how difficult it is to forgive and it's you know like it's one thing to talk about forgiveness but it's another thing to actually do it and so I'm really curious, like, what was the forgiveness like? Because was it just like because you had those experiences, you're able to do that? Or were there times as you move forward where you had to almost like check yourself? That's a really good question because forgiveness is not a one-time deal, right? So it's an everyday conscious effort. I have to remind myself every single day that I chose to forgive and that it's not the easier path, but it's the better path for me. It's the healthier path. Because when I let go of that hate and let go of that anger, I only allowed love in. And when I'm in the highest state of love and existing in the best way that I can, my daughter's close to me. I believe that. That's so beautifully said. And, you know, it actually brings tears to my eyes uh, on how amazing that is and on what you just said. When you facilitate the love in you, that's when you feel closest to to your daughter. When you start to forgive, did it actually help everyone else to forgive too, as as that voice said? You know what? That is the second part of the miracle because it did. She had so many friends and all of my family and um, her dad's family and her stepdad's family, all our friends. When we said that's what we were going to do, everyone followed along and we were very um we were very careful not to speak to media because we were just hounded by media they wanted they wanted a story mm-hmm. and we agreed to not give them one um this is when in 2013 when gun control was kind of the height here in the united states um at its height and so we were not going to do that we just decided we were not going to make her death or her life be a new story and so the we did have a memorial um, for her friends, 
and um, a balloon release at the same time. And they all gathered, and we did candlelight. And at that point, you know, I just asked them all in Kiana's honor to practice forgiveness in their life and to do so remembering that that's what Kiana would have done. And that's a way that we can carry her memory on and to to continue her way by living that, by living the path of forgiveness and love. Just thinking about, you know, obviously what you said. And again, like, it, it's it's tough. It's tough even hearing it. I can't imagine living it, being through those situations um, and, and going through all that. But it seems like, uh, you know, maybe your faith has something to play with it, but like you leaned on something different. Like, you know, as in society, we kind of have these, we expect certain reactions and no one would, no one would wrong you for coming out and voicing anger, voicing, you know, negative emotions and, and going through those type of feelings. And that's almost what people would expect. But you seem to have tapped into something or, you know, you got your signs and you, you through your children as well. Like how amazing is it that your kids kind of right away were like, you know, we forgive our stepfather and through that guidance and through those, you know, that momentum, you kind of, you, you made that turn. And I like how, again, I like how you and you, you and Joshua kind of alluded to that. It's not a, it's not a, okay, well, I decide to forgive and this is how I feel and this is what's going to go on. It's a struggle like anything else in life, anything else worth striving for. And, you know, I just, just kudos to you for speaking about that. And again, like, you know, I say it again, but I say it all the time, but I'll say it again, like the courage, even to just tell this story. Uh, it's just incredible. Thank you so much. I hesitated doing um, sharing my story for a really long time um, until I felt like I owed it to my daughter to share it and to um, bring other people hope. So in sharing my story and sharing that I survived that, um, that pain, that intense pain of child loss, because it's intense, I was, I could help somebody else, even if I just change one person's perspective on grief or one person's perspective on forgiveness, I am okay with that. I just feel the desire and the need to do that. And I've continued to do that um, in my professional career as well. I do public speaking events on those two topics, grief and forgiveness. And so in that way, I've been able to share my daughter's light and to continue her, her love. Wow, well, I'm glad you do because it it's it's something that's it's almost like you made the impossible possible, you know, like in those moments, and whatever strength or courage that it it came into you to be able to pursue that, it's amazing how you can facilitate that conversation because there's that's probably one of the biggest problems uh, our society faces is forgiveness. And, you know, for you to be able to speak on that topic, you can allow people to see it in a different way because I think a lot of people, have a maybe misconstrue on what forgiveness is or how it could even be possible. But it's nice when you have this extreme example to say, you know what, you know, it is possible. And so, you know, amazing. And I believe you, you know, like there's sometimes people talk, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know. (laughs) But I believe you when you say you've actually forgiven, you've forgiven yourself too. 
um, because of all that blame that you're trying to put on yourself. So I think it's absolutely amazing that you got here and, and you've made it this far. And I can, can't imagine as you move forward what else you can do. But man, like, what a story. What an absolute story. And so do you have this? So I don't even want to ask about another loss, but, but you said you had two losses. Sure. So that was 2013. Um, December 23rd, 2013, my daughter died. And I, I come from a very tight-knit, very close family. I have um, an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister. So there's four of us, and we're all very close. We all live in different parts of the United States. I'm in different states, but we are have always been very close. Um, after the death of Kiana, we became even closer. So we started making it a point to do things together. Um, our CrossFit gym holds a Kiana wad, a workout of the day, every year on her birthday. And so my family would come in for that, including all my nieces and and my siblings and their spouses and my parents and cousins and everybody would just come into town for that. So like I said, we just became a lot closer and it gave us an understanding, a different perspective on the things in life that really matter, like family and love and just showing up for one another. And um, my niece, my brother's oldest daughter, my oldest brother, um, my oldest brother's name is Adam and his oldest daughter is Olivia and he has two uh, other girls, Madeline and Lillian. And Olivia graduated from high school in 2014 and decided to leave Arizona where her family lives and move out here to Colorado Springs um, with a boyfriend and go to school. And so I just loved having her close. It was great. My girls loved it. She just really filled the space in our hearts that needed to be filled. And, you know, we just, she would spend time with us and do her laundry at my house. And I just loved it. Well, in 2016, um, Olivia was driving from Arizona to Colorado and was in a car accident. A semi had pulled out in front of her and caused her to um, hit the semi. And she was killed immediately. And so my brother's oldest daughter and my sister-in-law and I just again was reintroduced to that pain that loss that heartache everything just came flooding back and to know that they would also be walking this journey that you don't want anyone else to ever have to face losing a child it's unnatural and to to see that that pain in my brother's face and to hear that cry from my sister-in-law it's a cry that I can only assume is only made by a mother who has lost their child the only time I've ever heard that is when it was coming from myself and to hear my sister-in-law cry that way was it will forever be heartbreaking for me wow like just another traumatic loss and I'm curious once again, you know, there's there's someone else that someone could blame um, for everything and get really angry at. Did was it a challenge to forgive the driver of the other vehicle? I can't speak for my brother and sister-in-law. Um, they're such amazing people, so loving and so kind and giving. For myself, I I was angry 
um, you know, naturally, I was just very angry that somebody could be so careless and, and you know, my niece was only 19 and how could they do that? And then I thought of the, the man that did that and I thought of how he will have to live with that the rest of his life. And I prayed for him. I prayed for his heart. I prayed for if he had children, if, for his wife. And at that point, I asked God to allow me to forgive him as well. Wow. Like when you're wronged in this world, it's it's tremendously difficult. And, and with situations like both of them, I think most of us would agree that to be able to process that information, those emotions, and then find something inside of yourself that tells you that, you know, I am going to use love. I am going to make this my focal point and then let let love enter into my soul, my body, my mind and have that take over everything, which is what you did. I think, you know, that's that's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing quality. Yeah, that's- yeah I'm uh, I'm actually really curious how because you mentioned to me that you've had some dreams. Have you had dreams of both of them or just your daughter? So I've had dreams of both of them, and they've always been really incredible dreams. Um, I haven't had a dream of them together, though. I've had individual dreams of Kiana and individual dreams of Olivia, but never them together. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that is very interesting why they're always separate. Could you, you know, walk us through some of your dreams of your daughter and maybe what that meant to you? Sure, sure. So um, I, I've had like just there. One of the things that I feel like needs to be noted on my dreams too is that when I see my daughter, she's always happy. She's always just like radiating happiness and joy, and she's laughing and glowing, and it's just amazing. Every time I've dreamt of her, it's always been the same. And also in my dreams of her and my niece, Olivia, when when we communicate, our mouths don't move. I look at them and I understand what they're saying to me, but their mouths never never move. So I thought that was really um, interesting because in other dreams that I'll dream of as different people, you know, when I'm talking to them, their mouths move. But in every single one I've had of both my daughter and my niece, their mouths don't move. I don't know if mine does when I'm talking to them, but... I know that theirs don't. So that's just something that I thought was uh, really interesting and, and should be noted in my dreams. You know, I've had little short dreams of my daughter um, where she's just doing things, driving a car. I've had that a few times because she was two months shy of her 15th birthday. And in Colorado, you can get your learner's permit on the day you turn 15. So that was something, one of our last conversations also, was how she was going to be driving and and showing me how she would drive in the car. And so a couple of my dreams have featured her uh, driving. And she's talking to me and I'm looking at her and she's laughing and we're just having those moments again together. Um, I've also, that one shows up a lot, like the driving or doing things. I've also dreamt of her um, interacting with little children. Uh, I dreamt of her reading books to all these little children were sitting in front of her and I see her through a window 
through like a glass window on a door and I'm walking by a door and I see her and I stop and look in the room and she looks up at me and she's smiling and all these kids are sitting around and she's reading a book to them. And so a lot of the things that show up with my daughter specifically is with children, with little children and um, doing teenage things like driving a car or wanting to go over to a friend's house or, but always happiness, always, always love, always happiness. And um, my niece, the dreams that I've had of her, and I'll go back to the most notable one for my daughter after I do my niece, but my niece, the most notable was um, we had gone to Arizona to be with my brother and his wife immediately following um, her death. And it was the morning that they were going to pick out um, an urn for her because she was also to be cremated. And that I dreamt that she came to me and said, Aunt Monica, I need you to tell my mom that I'm okay. And she'll believe you if you talk about a giraffe necklace. And she kept saying, it's a giraffe and it's, she'll know what you're talking about. But you have to tell her that I'm okay, that it's okay, that I'm okay. And she kept on just really reiterating to me that I needed to let her mom know and her mom would believe that it was her coming to me by this giraffe necklace. And so I, when my brother and his wife got back that day from um, the mortuary, I, I said, I have to tell you guys something. I dreamt of Olivia last night and she's very adamant that you know, that she knows about the giraffe necklace. And I, I'm describing it to him. I'm like, I don't know if it's a keychain or a necklace, but she's very, adamant that you know what she's talking about. My sister-in-law said, when we picked out her urn, we picked out one of her necklaces that has a giraffe on it to drape around the urn as well. And so we figured that's probably the message she was getting to us. And I said, you know, she just wants you to know she's okay too. And I've, I've always kind of had these very descriptive dreams my entire life as long as I can remember and I've always thought it was odd that other people didn't remember their dreams or that they weren't prophetic in some way and so it was never out of the ordinary for me to just really have these um deep dreams or like intense dreams and yeah, so um, I think it's I think it's yeah it's amazing you had the courage to say that because I know there's some people who will get these dreams with messages for others and they're just they just don't want to do it they don't want to be wrong they don't want to maybe out themselves as dreaming of the deceased so I think it's uh, I want to just comment on the courage to say that dream and to believe it was meaningful for someone else because it's, I think it's still amazing how people do have these dreams meant for others as much as themselves, but they're also meant for others in a way on who they're, who needs to know um, that this dreams for them kind of thing. Sure. And I just felt like it was non-negotiable. I had to tell my sister cause I knew that it was real. I mm-hmm. knew that she needed her mom and dad to know this and that I had to tell them it just brings hope. I would have appreciated that if it was me. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think too, the message was, it's interesting because some people just will say, you know, tell my mom or dad, you know, like I love them or like some kind of comment, but this is very unique in the sense that it also had something that you didn't know about was this giraffe necklace that's around the urn. 
I think it's yeah, it's almost it's to help them believe more about an afterlife or something beyond, which is very difficult at the time of loss. And I can only imagine what that did for them if it was so urgent for you to be able to share it. You know, like it must have did something to them that you maybe can't see. But I think it's still fascinating. It blows my mind that that even happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. Um yeah, it was. It, I was. I was honored that she felt mm-hmm. like she could trust me to deliver the message. Absolutely. Do you think people get jealous of you now because you're <laughs> you're getting everyone coming to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really have any special powers. So <laughs> I wish I did. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Not that you know of, eh? I just finished <laughs> watching uh, the Umbrella Academy. <laughs> on netflix and there's yeah so you remind me of someone in there um but anyways (laughs) going on um so let's talk about the the most memorable one you had that you sort of saved for the end sure so the the night before i had or the day of this dream when i had this dream um i had forgiven on a stepdad I had forgiven I had been working on forgiving myself that was probably the most difficult of all the forgiveness to do and I thought I had forgiven God like that was you know I just thought I had it was no big deal you know that wasn't even an option to me to not forgive God I thought and I didn't realize how angry I was um, with God for taking her from me until this specific day my mom um, was a teacher and she had t- was telling me about parent-teacher conference and getting kids' parents in there and how she couldn't get them all in there. And when I hung up the phone with her, um, I was very upset. This is about six months after uh, Kiana's death. And I was very upset because I just felt like all I had ever wanted to do was be a mom. And I show up for my kids and I love my girls and you know, they just mean everything to me. And there's parents that don't want to be parents. I just felt really angry that that's all I ever wanted. And I was I was robbed of that with my daughter. I'm never going to get to see or get married or, or have children. She's never going to give me grandbabies. And all of this just was very heavy for me. And I was driving alone in my car um, after the conversation with my mom. And I just kind of let my anger out. I just said, you know, this isn't fair. And I was yelling it in my car. Thankfully, it was like on an road that was not busy at all (laughs) so I didn't look crazy yelling in my car alone but I was just like saying these things that needed to be said and um just directed towards God and you know God can handle those things so I was saying them the the ugly stuff the heavy stuff and um, it was it was just hard for me and so that night when I went to sleep um I saw my daughter and she said, Mom, don't don't be sad, don't be angry. And I just told her all I ever wanted to do is be your mom and I will love you forever. And he said and she said, um, Mom, I'm 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 happy, I'm safe, I'm okay. And I told her, I just want you with me. I just want you with me. I need to be with you. I can't be without you. And so beautiful and she was happy and she said um mom god's gonna let you see heaven but you can't see me when you're there 
and you can't stay. And so I said, okay, and she said, no, you have to promise me that you won't try to stay. And so I said, okay, not sure, not sure exactly what was going on or what she meant. This is all a dream. And in that dream, I start another dream. So my second part of my dream is I'm driving in a car, in my car, down the same road I was driving on earlier that day, yelling at God. And I have a head-on car accident and roll, flip my car, and I'm on the side of the road. And I immediately feel like my soul is leaving my body. And I feel that way. I feel like a balloon bobbing up to the sky. Like I'm just kind of floating and bobbing. And I'm immediately aware of how amazing my body feels. Like how amazing it feels to be without a body, I guess, is a better description. So as I'm bobbing up to the sky, because I'm above everything, I can see things below me, and I'm in my life, I'm terrified of heights, but in this dream, I'm not at all. And I'm, I'm laughing, like this laughter keeps bubbling up in my chest and escaping my mouth. And there's only pure joy. And as I look around, I'm like, almost flying, but it's not flying because it's very gentle and very, um, I guess, calculated. And as I look around, I see everything as it is, but more beautiful. There's no shadows. There's no darkness. And it's just the most amazing bright colors. I can't even put it into words because we don't have that vocabulary for what I saw. And I'm looking at all of these colors. There's a mountain that's so green. I wanna I want to touch, I wanna touch that grass, I wanna to touch those trees. And as I'm thinking that I'm there. And there's a blue lake, so blue, just the brightest blue. It's like there's no shade, no darkness, nothing to to bring shadows anywhere. And almost like a sun is illuminating every single thing, like light illuminates every single thing that I could see. And so I yell out to my daughter. I say, Kiana, where are you? And she says, mom, this is heaven. You know, you can't see me. And I said, but I want to. And she said, nope, that's the deal, mom. You know, that's the deal. And so I'm like, I keep yelling out to her, Kiana, I just want to hug you. And she doesn't she doesn't come and then I'm looking around and I'm laughing and I feel amazing and then I feel my lips like someone's pulling on my leg and I look down at my leg and I see a hand on it kind of like pulling me back and I'm trying to shake shake that hand off off of my leg and as I'm doing that I'm my soul is rushing back into my body which is still inside the car that I've rolled. And a man is pulling me out of the car by my leg. And my daughter's saying, he's going to save your life, Mom. You have to go. And I keep saying, no, I don't want to. I want to be with you. And she says, no, Mama, you have to go. And so then I'm pulled out of the car. And again, my daughter says to me, um, Mom, it's not gravity that keeps us on earth. That's not why you felt like you were floating. It's not gravity. 
He said, it's anger and grief and sadness, it's guilt. All of those feelings leave when you go to heaven. And that's why in heaven you feel light and happy and joyful because that's all there is there. She's telling me this. And she's saying, uh, so once you let those go, you'll be free. And then I woke up. Wow, that's 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 insane. <laughs> <laughs> I can <laughs> Wow, yeah, it's just like you uh you're a good storyteller, I gotta say. You really feel how like <laughs> you say enough details that <laughs> I can feel like I'm watching the story play out. And you know, it's kudos to you because I really get into it. Um, but wow, like like where do I begin with that? What do you <laughs> like I think first let's I can go back to the end where she says about the heaviness of earth and how you felt I felt light. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that for the mind to conceive of because life is heavy man like i don't know there's a day goes by there's not some kind of heaviness that is looming around me or so some days and others but there's something and you're right there's so much anger regret fear um, lack of forgiveness that's just holding holding the love down holding the way you perceive this world down and so i think this dream it just it showcases you know more of what love is because i think you know i talked to sean about this sometimes too about our definition of love changes as we become more loving you know like because <laughs> like what you think is love is only like a small fraction of what it actually is because you just can't conceive of it and so it's so amazing how you're able to have this emotions feeling to be able to conceive of what's possible does that give you motivation to do work in this, like, in, I guess, in this life? Absolutely. I think my girls have always been my motivation. But Kiana and, and losing her at such a young age definitely changed my perspective on everything and what I wanted to do and how I needed to help people and help others in any way that I can, any way possible. And after this dream, I feel like it kicked off my spiritual journey. And so that made me realize that the God that I had believed in before, had trusted in before, wasn't like an angry, um, an angry God. He wasn't doing, he wasn't taking my daughter from me to hurt me. Like he hurt also when, when she left me. He hurt for me. And that just kind of kicked off my spiritual journey. And like you said, we have different definitions of love as we become more loving. That's exactly exactly how it is, how many layers there is to love when when you can look at it that way. Yeah, and, and just, just the capacity and, and changes that a person makes um, through events, through, through tough times. You know, you, your strength really comes through you know, not during good times, but during those tough times, you you saw that tragically what happened uh, to Kiana, and you know you decided to, to to be the strength for your family, be the light for your family, and move forward and progress. And and now what you're doing, sharing your story, um, getting involved with other women, and you know holding these retreats. I think I think that's. That's an incredible thing to kind of take on and also give back now. Yeah, absolutely. I 
my dad, about a year after my daughter had died, um, sent me a quote that said, your heartache is someone else's hope. If you make it through, someone else will make it through. Share your story. It's Kimberly McManus that said that, and he sent it to me, and it just really resonated within me that I that I had to, that it was something I had to do, because you're right, a loss changes you to the core. There's so many things about me now that would not have been present had I not had to go through such pain, such loss, and I mean, just really breaks you down to nothing to where you have to build yourself back up. So in many ways, I feel that I'm for sure more humble, more kinder, I'm more forgiving, more loving. Um, I have no problem showing up for people in, in the hard times. As a therapist, it made me much better at my job. I'm able to sit with clients in the depths of their pain, whatever it is, not only just grief, but any any pain that they encounter. And I don't shy away from that. Like It doesn't bother me. I understand the depths of pain differently. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing that you do. And it's amazing you've come through and you are sharing your story and providing people hope. And I think that's why we love this podcast so much. I know that's why I do. Is like I get to hear these stories and hopefully other people get a chance to too where it does motivate you. Like, you know, we do these podcasts, but I feel better at the end of these podcasts, not because I'm talking, right, but because I'm listening to stories, <laughs> you know, like, as much as I like to hear my own voice. Um, but it's like, no, you hear these stories and they inspire you to and motivate you to keep going and understand what almost like what it's all about, you know, and for you, like the forgiveness and read it, like continuing to, to search for that love that is within you once you sort of work on all the external stuff that weigh, weighs you down. I think, you know, like that's what, that's what you're doing and you're helping others as a way to also give back for the gifts you've been given from your daughter, you know, through your dreams. Um, but man, like this is once again, another amazing podcast. I'm so happy you, you came on to share the story. Gosh, I feel so honored to um, be sharing sharing this and, and be in a space also where I feel like I'm ready to. It's been five years and I still feel like it's just happened. So to be able to do that, I just feel so grateful. And, and, and again, just very blessed that I'm able to, to do that, that I have that capacity. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just to add to that, I think like if your story was told in one line, I think people would look at that or, or, or hear that and say, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could make that turn. I don't think I could incorporate love into it. But when they hear your whole story told the way you tell it, I think it gives people hope. I would, I would like to think it gives people hope that, you know, that is possible that, you know, after something as, as, you know, crazy and horrific as that happened, you know, people can move on and, and find something in there to give them more hope and move forward. Uh, and I think that's that's the incredible part of it. Sure. And I, I have had that feedback quite a bit, actually. People will say to me that they don't think they could do the same thing or they don't. They, they ask me how I can. How, how did you find it within you? 
And I can't take any of that credit. I wish that I was such an amazing, great person that I could, (laughs) but it was 100%. That's my daughter. That's Kiana. That's how she always was as a child and how she will forever be through, through me, through, through my girls, through anybody that's been touched by her will forever be changed and be more forgiving. It, I, it was non-negotiable for me. I didn't have a choice. It was, it was truth. I had to, and I knew that, and it wasn't a suggestion. And I know that my, I know my daughter's heart. And I know that in order again, to be close to her, I have to exist in that higher space. And so I do. And that's my only explanation for it. Yeah, absolutely. And now, um, your other daughters, Ava and Kyla, Kyla, I had a number tip my head. Um, <laughs> 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 Now those now those girls get to uh, see a version of you that that is there for them is 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 combating this overcoming these challenges uh, in a way that's best for everyone and and you know you're the leader leading them all towards that that's an amazing thing that that you know you know you're you're protecting your family you're taking care of them you're moving forward now they grow up seeing this and seeing you know how you honor. Um, Kiana in, in, in this way by telling your story and all that. I think that's that's nothing but love that's going to make their lives better. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. My girls are the absolute only reason I'm still here. I can say that without like that is truth. They um, they just that's a natural thing about child loss is how much you need your other your surviving children. Like you need them more than they need you. You just depend on them for the smallest amount of hope every day, the smallest amount of just whatever you can get from them, you do. Kyla is my, she's my rock. She's so strong. She's so kind. She laughs. She's resilient. All of these things that I aspire to be. And every day I was so grateful that she would make me laugh. And when my Ava, she was not even two when her sister died. So she very much needed me for her daily tasks. And with her, because of her, I was coaxed out of bed because it was only her and I at home during the day and I had to care for her and I had to feed her and bathe her and dress her and read to her. So she just had a way of letting me be where I was and being okay with that. I remember playing dolls with her and tears are just coming down my face. I'm not making any noise, but I'm trying to be present with her. And she would just walk over to me and very gently wipe the tears from my face and kiss me and continue playing. She acknowledged my pain. I mean, I had two to understand that. And she continues to be just very compassionate as well. But, um, you know, I that was one of my promises to Kiana after her death is that her sisters would have the same mother she had. I would be present for them. I owed it to her. I owe it to my girls. And it wasn't easy. It's not been easy. Plenty of times that I just want to curl up and be alone and hide from the world. Yeah, no, you uh, you did it. You did it for your daughters. And yeah, it's amazing the impact children can have to motivate people to do things they don't want to do, which is also which beneficial, which is sometimes therapy for a lot of people. So they don't want to really go to therapy and, and have to talk about their emotions. But there's benefit in that. And, you know, kids can give, give us that too, uh, just in our waking life. I'm curious, so just as we're wrapping up the podcast, what dream, if you could have a dream tonight, would you want to have? 
Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think if I could choose the dream, I would, I would want to see my niece and my daughter together for sure. Absolutely. I want to know that they have carried on their relationship to heaven as well. Um, but if I could speak to my daughter and just see her, I think I would want to be on a beach somewhere where it's warm and feeling the sun on me. And I always feel really peaceful there. And I would love to be walking the shore with my daughter. She would loop her arm in mine. Um, that's how we would walk a lot. And um, she's taller than me. And so I would, I would really like to do that, to walk with her, to see the peace and happiness in her eyes and hear her laugh, hug her one more time. And I think I would want her sisters to be there too, to, to feel her love, to feel her beauty. I would thank her for showing up for me, continuing to show up for me, continuing to give me signs, continuing to love me protect me and her sisters, I would probably ask her if she's proud of me and thank her for bringing love back into my life. I didn't feel like I would ever love myself, love, love just love again. And I know that because of her, I'm able, I have that ability to, to show love, to be loved, to allow love. And so I would thank her for that. Um, I would for sure want to hug her, smell her and kiss her and feel her close to me laugh together again sounds like a beautiful dream man i like that <laughs> <laughs> and how old would you want her to be because i know she's she's grown up since then right so it's been five years so sure. did you want her like in her 20s like is that something you would want to see her as or do you want to see her as a like a little younger as a teenager i think i think it would be pretty amazing to see her at 20 she would have turned mm -hmm. 20 on february 15th so I think seeing her at 20 would be ideal. That's cool. I like that. That's pretty amazing. And it'd be kind of cool too if your if it was almost like a shared dream, where your your daughters had the same dream. So you all woke up together and you're like, I had this dream. I'm like I had this dream. I'm like wait a second, it's the same dream. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it'd be amazing. My girls have had amazing dreams of their sister too, and when they tell me, I'm like, what? just incredible dreams. Well, Monica, it's uh, it's been amazing. It's been a great conversation. Uh, we both uh, enjoyed it and we really enjoy, you know, the strength you show, uh, mother's strength and um, how you really uh, saw these events and you had these things happen to you, but also move forward and incorporate love into your family more and it's the hardest thing to do when, when, you know, things happen, negative things happen to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to go down that path or I'm going to try my best. You know, it is a, is a routine. It's a daily thing. I want to try my best to fill myself with, with love, which, which I believe and I'm sure Josh believes is, is the ultimate thing, you know, that, that, that can move mountains and you know, that, that you're moving your own mountains in your life. And it's just a, uh, you know, I've got I've been inspired by this a lot. And I think really like it just shows just just the potential of of what keeping uh, your priorities straight, but also, you know, 
uh, being in tune with yourself and your dreams and, and also what dreams can bring to you uh, moving forward, you know, seem to have added to your life and give you the opportunity to see your daughter again. That's an amazing thing. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for this platform that you have created for this because it, there's really is nothing, nothing like this out there. Yeah, uh, we appreciate that. And, you know, uh, we give you your best of like, luck for your, for uh, you to move forward and, and again, inspire, uh, you know, women, inspire men who, who've had those losses, you know, had those hard, tough losses. And those people who feel like they no one can understand them or they can't you know, move forward in life uh, the way they want to. I think you're an inspiring story for that. Um, can, do you, uh, can you have, do you have any websites or, or handles you want to shout out? Sure. So um, the Everglow Project, we have a Instagram page. It's Everglow underscore project. And that name was created from um, the song Everglow by Coldplay. I felt like the first time I heard it that it was written for my daughter. The words are just incredibly beautiful. And so we took that and created the Everglow Project, the Grief Retreat. And so the Instagram page is fairly new, but um, we're working on it. We're getting it up and going. So that would be um, the best way to find me um, or to find the Everglow Project. Um, I don't have any other forms of like outlets or social media or anything like that. Um, aside from my personal one, I have a Psychology Today page for my um, private practice. And that can be found just by searching my name, Monica Mead and Psychology Today, find a therapist. That's great. That's excellent. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sure our listeners will check out uh, your stuff, your, inst- your website and Instagram and uh, everybody who's listening, please support her. Uh, she's doing a great job and uh, help, uh, you guys can help each other. So you can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. We added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. We, uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And the children's book called Dreaming of Owl, authored by Joshua, can be found on Amazon. There are tips on how to talk to children about their dreams uh, at the end of the book. Uh, and as as always, we like to end this podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation